Father, once again, just please open our hearts to Your Word. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before I begin my message, i got to tell you, we're in a passage that isn't always well received in this world. Disclaimer, it's Ephesians 5.22 to the end, and you know what that's all about? (laughs) It's about husbands and wives and their relationships with each other. So, first I want to say to all my fellow elders, you're lucky I love you. Because I could have easily asked one of you guys to take this on. But secondly, i got to tell you, I wrestled with, is that really a message for a welcome back together in person theme? And you know what I came to? Yes. Because you know what marriage pictures? It pictures Christ's love for the church and the church's relationship with Him. And, And we are the church. And I believe Christ looks down here as we worship and open His Word and and smiles. And third, I'm excited to preach it because it is God's Word. God doesn't make mistakes in His Word. God created us. He created marriage. And His design is beautiful. A disclaimer for anyone here who's not married. Maybe you're a child. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're divorced. I want to encourage you, don't check out for a couple reasons. First of all, never forget who wrote this book to the Ephesians. You know who it was, right? The Apostle Paul. A single man inspired by the Holy Spirit championing marriage to the church. You don't have to be married to appreciate marriage and, and stand up for it in your, your words and your actions and to celebrate the picture of Christ in the church that it's meant to be. Just like you don't have to be a baseball player to go enjoy the game if it ever starts back up. (laughs) But I also want to encourage you to embrace the season that you're in and and use your opportunities to the max for God. We're going to talk about a little bit more in detail at the end. There are special opportunities in the season of marriage and there are special benefits to the season of singleness as well. well. We'll come back around there. So don't check out. But I also want to say to those of you who are married, this is good for whatever stage of marriage you're in. There's all different stages of marriage from the honeymoon stage to all the others. And I, I heard a story about that this week. This guy said, I, I knew I was past the honeymoon stage in our marriage when I went up in our attic to fix the attic fan. And while I was up there, I, I scratched my forehead and it started bleeding. And, and I got some splinters in my hand. And as I came down the ladder, I slipped and twisted my ankle. And the first thing my wife said to me was, are those your good pants? <laughs> there's, there's many different stages of marriage. So whatever stage you're in, or maybe you're preparing for marriage, this is for you. I want to start by asking the question, Are marriages in our world in need of help? Are they in need of God's design? I was thinking, if we look around, and by and large, most marriages are are thriving and staying together and living in harmony, then maybe we'd be tempted to ignore this. After all, it is 2,000 years old, right? 
But if we look around and see brokenness, families falling apart, and even many who stay together having this high level of discord, that's one more reason for us to listen to God's design. When we set up here earlier, we wondered about getting out our artificial trees and setting them up by the entrance here. But you know what happened? They kept blowing over in the wind. Why? Because they have no roots. And I was thinking that's what's going on with many families today. They, they don't have roots in God's Word and God's design. And every one of us, whether we're married now or not, have been married in the past. Every one of us can see moments in our relationships where we haven't followed God's design and it's caused discord. We need to be rooted in God's plan for marriage. It's a beautiful design. So I want to start at the beginning. I want to talk to you about the beauty of God's design. Marriage in the Garden of Eden. Adam, Eve, perfect relationship with God, with each other, perfect environment. And I want to start here by saying that roles were given to the husband and the wife before sin entered the world. Why do I say that? Because many believe that the roles began in Genesis 3 after the fall. That's just not true. That's when the roles started getting warped as a result of the curse, but the roles were part of God's design. How do we know this? Well, Wayne Grudem, if you want to read his work on this, has given 10 reasons why we know this. I want to share just three because we can't be here all day. Okay, number one, Eve was called Adam's helper before sin entered the world. Did you know that? Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now right away you throw that term helper out there and many people bristle at it. Does that mean less than in value or worth? Not at all. In fact, the Hebrew word for helper fit for him means equal and adequate. You got to start there. Not the same, complementary, but equal and adequate in value. Not to mention, you want to breathe some nobility into that role? Do you know the term helper is often used of God Himself in the Old Testament? Wow, talk about nobility. Psalm 33, 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. What about the famous one? You look back there, Psalm 127, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You get to the New Testament in the upper room and Jesus says He's going to send a helper. It's used of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever thought for a second that helper means less than, don't forget that it's often used of God's help for us, God Himself. What's that mean, wives? It means you bring something to the table that your husband needs. And many of you wives, maybe silently right now, are saying, Amen. I know that's true. This is a noble and important role. Secondly, we know it was before the fall because Adam was held responsible for the sin. Even though Eve was the one talking to Satan that brought the fruit to Adam and kind of instigated it all with Adam, Adam was held responsible. How do we know that? From the New Testament. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
It doesn't say woman, it says man. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was held responsible because he was the leader. That was established before the fall. Uh-oh, my iPad says it needs to cool down. We're going we're gonna to switch over to the phone for a minute. That sun is beating us down. But the third thing I wanted to share with you guys as I pull that up is this idea that it's also restated in the New Testament. When we get to the new creation that God is bringing about in the church, He restates the same roles. Why would He restate them in the new creation if it wasn't what He intended to be, right? Where does He restate it, you say? 1 Corinthians 11.3 I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament in the church. So, so roles in marriage were always part of God's perfect plan according to His Word. But why? Why is it important to have roles? Roles help us reach our goals. Okay, we have goals. Think about it like this. When we lived in Chicago, I worked for some architects. The, the firm was called Griskellis and Smith Architects. I, did, I sat at the front desk and answered the calls and did lots of copies and stuff. But I want you to imagine when Griskellis and Smith Architects opened up in the Wrigley Building, downtown Chicago, that they had a meeting with all the employees and they, they sat down very first day and they, Griskellis, Ray, Ray Griskellis and Craig Smith looked at everybody and said, hey, we just want you to know this business is based on equality. We are all equal. And everybody celebrates and says, yay, I love that, I love that. And it's true. Every human is equal, right? But what happens? Everybody goes to their station and sits down, and two, three hours later, they all start scratching their heads and saying, that's great that we're equal, but what are we here to do? Like, we have a purpose to fulfill here. We are to get blueprints to people that want to build buildings so they can build them. So we got to figure out who's doing what. Who's, who's going to meet with the clients? Who's going to do the copies? Who's going to watch the finances in the office? Who's going to draw up the blueprints? And all of a sudden, we say, okay, it's, it's important to start with the fact that we're equal, but what are our roles so we can get the job done that, that God has for us? You see this equality even in Genesis 1. Okay, Genesis 1.27. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Ladies, you are every bit as much in the image of God as men are. That's established from the beginning. But what was their purpose? They had a, a job to do for God. Okay, Genesis 1.28. Their purpose. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. That, that was their purpose, right? What, what's our purpose in marriage today? I, I summed it up as three things. To bring glory to God. First and foremost, to make disciples in our home and outside our home and to be a reflection of Christ in the church. That's, that's our biblical goals in our marriage. We've got to understand our roles 
so we can get there. Think, think about the importance of roles. We mentioned baseball earlier, and I hope that starts, but I really hope football starts up later on this year. Okay, imagine a football team where they huddle up, and the quarterback says, all right, here's our play. And the receiver says, I don't want to catch anymore. I'm not running that route. I'm going to throw. And the linemen say, I don't want to block anymore. I want to throw. And then the running back says, I don't want to run anymore. I want to throw. How many of you guys think that football team is going to win any games? Not one of you is going to put a bet on that team because they're all in it for their selfish selves, right? The teams that win, each player is excited about their role. They want to maximize their role, and together they go for the team win. On an offense, it's the touchdown. In a marriage, it's the glory of God. And that's where it starts. We have to realize marriage is not first and foremost about my happiness or my wife's happiness or even that we have a great marriage. It's beyond that, that it would bring glory to God. That's the goal, and the roles are key to that function. Listen, women, maybe you've wondered, why in the world did God make the men leaders? Good question. Okay, it does not mean that men are more valuable. Men are the leaders simply because God said it. Women are the helpers in the relationship simply because God said it. It is not a reflection on our worth. So if we recognize the importance of roles in other areas, football, I think of an orchestra even, right? How boring would an orchestra be if everybody played the same notes on the same instrument? Right? The beauty comes when everybody maximizes their instrument and you get this beautiful harmony. We recognize the roles there. Maybe it's time we start seeing the value of roles in the family, right? But we all know these, these roles have gotten messed up in our world, right? And that's where we go to Genesis 3, the curse. This is the core of how not to live these roles. And as we read through this, those of us who are married or have been will probably think of moments where we've crossed into this, the result of the curse. Genesis 3.16, after the fall, God said to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now some translations say your desire shall be for your husband, and some have understood that as, oh, he, you're going to want your husband now. <laughs> Many have pointed out that was already the case. There's a perfect man and woman in a perfect garden told to be fruitful and multiply. It does not mean that. So I like the ESV here. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. That word is only used one other place in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You know where? It helps us understand what it means. Genesis 4-7, talking to Cain, God says, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it. That helps us understand what that means. It means your desire, the, the wife's desire, if she gives in to the temptation, is to be against her husband and his role, to overcome his role, to, to take over that role of leadership in the family. She would be tempted to become a usurper of that role. At the other extreme, sometimes wives are wrongly taught that they should be doormats that have no input. These are both abuses of, of God's design. And the same thing happened with men. 
In the same curse passage, it says, but he shall rule over you. And that word for rule there is not a nice kind of rule. It can be used for ruling as a dictator. And men throughout history have been tempted to take their role as husbands and abuse it as a dictator. You ever wonder why the New Testament tells men not to be harsh so many times? It's because of this curse and our temptation to go that way. At the other end of the spectrum, men are tempted to become passive wimps who give up the idea of leadership altogether. But both ways, those are abuses of God's plan. It is not a flaw in His design. Okay? Think about this. We drive a Toyota Sienna. Love that van. But let's say on a Saturday afternoon, uh, a man gets drunk and, and hops in a Toyota Sienna and while he's driving down the highway, he crashes into a family of five and kills them. Do you think Toyota's going to have a meeting Monday morning and say, we need to fix the design of our Sienna? Look what happened. No. What needs to happen? The drunk driver needs to deal with his behavior. He's the one that needs help. The fault was not with the vehicle. It was with the driver. And anytime we see marriage breaking down, we need to own that. Say it's not God's fault. It's ours. It's almost as though we have thrown a rock through a beautiful stained glass window that reflects Christ in the church because of our sin. That's the bad news. The, the good news is Jesus came to restore that stained glass window that reflects Christ in the church. That's the, the hope of the New Testament. And that's where we get to Ephesians 5. You see how I eased into that? It needed some background. Everything comes in context, right? But one, one man said it this way, Ephesians 5 is the anti-venom to the serpent's bite in Genesis when it comes to our relationships. Because Jesus, if you understand the Gospel, He came not only to take us to heaven, He came to transform our lives right here, right now, including our relationship to God and our relationships with each other. And it doesn't just stop at husbands and wives. It goes on to talk about parents and children and masters and servants today, employers and employees in every relationship. Ephesians 5.21, Aaron preached last week, one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means every one of us needs to have a, a mindset that puts others before our, our own selfish needs. Every one of us, husbands, wives, children, parents, you, you go on and on. What's that mean? As we pursue this design in marriage, we have to keep our eyes on Christ because in that verse it says, out of reverence for Christ. If we don't have that reverence for Christ, it's going to be real hard to stay in our roles because we start to think about ourselves. It's out of reverence for Christ. But many have used that verse in Ephesians 5.21 to try to erase the roles for husbands and wives. We cannot do that. Paul is clearly going to lay out the plan. He's going to show us what this looks like in marriage in those unique roles. Tall challenge? Yes. That's why we got to look to Jesus. That's why we have to look to the cross. And I'm, I'm going to take you there in kind of a picturesque way. So I thought about the cross. You've got two beams, right? You've got the, the vertical beam and the horizontal beam. And I was thinking how that can serve as a picture of how husbands and wives love each other in their marriage. I thought of the man's role. And we'll start there, man. The, the cross beam. 
I think about how Jesus related to men horizontally. That, that's a model for how we are to lead our wives, how Jesus related to humanity. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now many have tried to go to that word head and say that doesn't mean leader. That just means source or something else. They have tried to take leader out of that word. The only trouble with that is Greek scholars have looked at many Greek documents outside the Bible and that word nearly always has leader embedded in it. It, it, it means that. It means leader. We cannot say it doesn't without doing injustice to the Greek. What's the question then? The question is, how do you lead? That is the question, and many of us know that question. Maybe you've looked at certain people in our government and say, are they really leading for the good of the people right now? Or do they have something other in mind, something selfish, some desire to dominate or control? Any of you wrestle with those questions in the government? That is the same question for husbands. Are, are we leading for our own selfish interest in order to dominate the people God's put us in leadership over? Or are we leading for their good and for their benefit? That is the key question because we do have the role of leader. What's the standard? Men, Jesus Christ is the standard for how we lead our homes. You want to know how to do it? Look to Him. Look, look right here in this passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her. How did Jesus give Himself up for the church? It's right here. Man, we got to take our leadership to the cross and take our cues from the cross. I think about what kind of love is that? It's proactive love. The Bible says before Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Excuse me. He, he took the lead. He died for us while we were still dead in our sins. He was proactive. It's provisionary. He is everything we need. Now, now man, we're never going to be everything our wives need, but we do need to think about their needs in our leadership. And it was sacrificial, right? Because Jesus gave it all. He held nothing back. He gave everything that the church needed for the church. That, that's our cue. You look at that and you say, what love? And that's key because all of these roles are annoying, offensive, and obnoxious apart from love. Do you understand that? They're all obnoxious and annoying and disgusting apart from love. But, but when you put love in the mix... The way we treat each other becomes a beautiful, sacrificial gift of love for the other person. A man should be a leader who loves and serves his wife as they pursue their common goal. Okay? Jesus talked about leadership. Luke 22, He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. In other words, the, those in authority got all the benefit from those they led. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And I think for some of us guys, sometimes men spend too much time thinking about our wife 
what our wife needs to be doing when we need to start here and, and drag ourselves to the cross and say, am I living like Christ to my wife? It's like we're worried about what she's doing and we're, we're trying to cram her square peg into our round hole, but maybe what we should be doing is taking our round hole to God and saying, help me get this squared off the way you want it to be. Then maybe things will start working in my marriage the way you designed them to. It's that proactive love. Now, here's a bonus, man. There's a bonus in here for us, guys. As a bonus, love for your wife often ends up making life better for you. You know, one guy said it this way, happy wife, happy life. There is some truth to that. Okay? Tongue in cheek. Uh, one, one woman said this, I found the key to success in our marriage. We're both in love with the same man. <laughs> That's tongue in cheek. We... But there's truth here, okay? If you love yourself and you're smart, you're going to love your wife as well. Watch this in this passage, talking about Jesus' love for the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I read that and I think about boomerang blessings. Christ works in the church to sanctify her, right? And make her a glorious bride, which in the end works out great for the church because she becomes all she can be. And it becomes great for Jesus Christ the groom because he gets a glorious bride presented to him at the wedding feast. It's, it's a boomerang blessing. Now he brings it down to our level, man. That's kind of lofty. If you're like me, this one maybe speaks to you at ground level a little more. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Love her like you love your own body. When, when you love your body, that ends up working good for you usually too, right? When, when your, your own stomach starts growling, what do you do? You put food in it. You start feeling a splinter in your foot, what do you do? You, you take it out. He says, love your wife that way. He who loves his wife loves himself. So listen, men, if we don't love our wives, not only are we being disobedient to God and hurtful to her, we're stupid. Because it ends up backfiring us too. God knows the way we're wired and He put that in there, okay? So you say, well, how do I live out this leader role. You look at all that Christ did for the church. How many of you have heard the name Bob Lapine? He's an associate of Dennis Rainey, Family Life Radio. He summed it up this way. He said, look, Jesus was the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Okay, and if we are to love our wives like Jesus loved the church, think of those roles. The prophet. Now, I'm not talking about that Old Testament sense like God speaks to me in dreams and visions and I got something outside the Bible. I'm not going there. But the prophet always brought the Word of God to those in his ministry. Men, we got to bring the Word of God into our homes. we got to find ways to do that, whether it's at the dinner table, in the car, at bedtime. we got to bring the Word of God into our home. The priest, okay? When he talked about that, when he brought out the 
importance of men leading their families in prayer. How much time do we spend praying for our families, men? How much time do we spend praying with them? And I think about the priests. They were also big with music. They set the atmosphere for worship in Israel. Do, do we make sure that worship is flooding our home, whether through the stereo or our own songs, that songs of praise set the tone in our home? And then king. What's a good king do? In the Old Testament, the kings went out to war with their troops. They didn't sit in their cushy castles. They, they were provisionary leaders for the people under their authority. He says that's how we reflect Jesus to the ones we love. I would add a couple. A wise husband, a wise leader listens to the wise counsel of his wife. Amen. We need to have ears to hear that so they're not there by mistake. A wise leader also delegates authority to his wife in, in areas where she is skilled or even superior. You don't have to hog it all. Okay, and lastly, a wise leader can say, listen to this, I'm sorry. Anybody want to say it with me? I'm sorry when he's wrong. Okay, that's an important part of being a good leader. Last thing for the men before we move on to the wives. We are the authority in our homes. We are the leader, but we are also under authority. Okay, L listen to that verse in 1 Corinthians again. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the heart of Christ is God. Where does it start? The head of every man is Christ. One song I like says, you don't run a thing until you run into the king. We do not lead well until we realize we are underneath his authority. We answer to him. And you know how important that is to God? In 1 Peter 3, he says, you don't, I'm going to paraphrase, you don't love your wife well, your prayers are going to be hindered. Man, I've had that happen to me in the midst of an argument. I went to be spiritual and I'm going to go pray. And it was like that prayer was hitting the ceiling, like God was saying, you get, go back in there and love your wife, and then you come talk to me. So there's a responsibility with that, but there's also encouragement, man. We're not alone as we lead our homes. If this ever feels overwhelming, as it does to me many times, I can look up and say, help, Jesus. You are my authority. Help me in this role. What does this look like in a, a real marriage? I, I want to talk about one time. One thing it looks like is when God puts something on a man's heart, even if he thinks it might sound crazy to his wife, he needs to, to share it with her and not live in a fear that, hey, I don't know how she's going to like what... But the example for us, that one of the prime ones, is when God was leading us to start the church next door, to leave the heights. And I knew God was making it clear in my heart, and I had had that moment where I, I talked to Carolyn. And it would have been easy to say, we got two kids and a mortgage and a sweet deal here at the Heights. I don't know what she's going to think of this. But I knew God was putting it on my heart, so I had to share it. And I sat down with her and I shared. I didn't say, Carolyn, I'm quitting today and here's where we're going. I said, Carolyn, I feel like God is putting something on my heart. I feel like He's calling us to step into a new ministry. And she looked at me and she said, I, I feel that too. I believe that. And together we navigated when and what it would look like as a team. So that's just one example, man. Leadership means taking what God is putting in your heart 
and sharing that dream with your family and then listening as you process through it. I want to talk to the women. We talked about the men, the, the picture of their role being as Jesus relates to humans. Now I want to look at the vertical beam for, for women. When you think about the, the submission that comes in the woman's role, I think about Jesus' relationship with His Father. Women too have to come to the cross just like the men. Verse 22, His wives, excuse me, I don't know if that's because I'm nervous or what. <laughs> Jaden's laughing. Every time my voice cracks, she's like, hey, I'm in good company. <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in everything to their husbands. Now, one of my favorite authors, William Hendrickson, he, he was part of writing a book called Rock and the Rolls. He was quick to explain that, wives, your role is not submission, okay? Submission is a tool for your role. Your role goes back to the garden. Your role is helper. And that alone helps change the perspective on submission. It's a tool you use in your role as helper. You are to be a helper who respects and submits to your husband as he pursues God's calling in your marriage. Now this is where we go off the rails sometimes. This does not mean you help him or enable him when he's acting in sinful or harmful ways to you, your children, or others. Those are moments for you to speak up to him and maybe to other people as well depending on what's going on. You are not called to support him in his pursuits of evil. But as he seeks to pursue God's calling to, to give glory to God and make disciples and reflect Christ in the church, then yes, as a helper, you come along. And the word submit in Greek means voluntarily line up under the authority of another. What's that mean, men? That word voluntarily is important. It is not your job to force it. It is your job to lead in a way that woos her into her role. It is a voluntary choice to submit. And ladies, I want to say to you, as we looked at that helper role pointing to God, going back to submission, it is so much different than, than the doormat picture that many in this world would like to make it seem. It is marshalling all of your strength and all of your wisdom and all of your experience and the things God has given you to go to work in your marriage and your family as you pursue that common goal. You think of that common goal of bringing glory to God. Does, does not that bring a deeper appreciation to verses that talk about the importance of the home? Often those verses are looked down on, right? But if you think about it, this is to bring glory to God and to make disciples and reflect Christ in the church. Listen to Titus 2, 3, and 5, through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So older women are to train young women in the church. But what are they to train them? To love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be reviled. 
Ladies, I want to talk to you just to say, never forget that in the middle of the busyness and craziness in your home, it is all for that higher goal. It is so much more than whatever task is in front of you at the moment. It's for that goal of bringing God glory and making disciples. I want to show you there is submission even within the Trinity. Many are, are teaching falsely that this is not the case, but it's clearly taught in the Bible. Submission in the Trinity, 1 Corinthians 11.3, back to that same verse. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You hear that last phrase? You catch it? It explains that the Father is the head of Jesus Christ. But listen, if we have our theology straight, we know that Jesus is every bit as much God as the Father. Right? But you look throughout the New Testament, you see the Father sending the Son and the Spirit. You see Jesus sending the Spirit. You never see Jesus or the Spirit sending the Father. But when the Father sends the Son and the Spirit, you know what? They go. Not because they're less than, but because they know their role within the Trinity. Now think about this. Different roles, yet they live in perfect harmony as equals. In the same verse where it talks about a husband's headship over his wife. So if they are equal in their value, and yet have different roles, does that not breathe significance and nobility into the fact that we have different roles in our marriage? takes away anything demeaning about it. I want you to look at Jesus' submission in Gethsemane. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're looking at the cross again. It's not just men that have to look at the cross. Ladies, you have to look at the cross too. Luke twenty-two forty-one. 41, as He's staring down a cross that He knows is His Father's will, says He withdrew from His disciples about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. I have never once read that passage and said, what a wimp Jesus is. What a doormat. Have you? No, He, he prayed to His Father and He clearly spoke His mind, but His loving sacrificial submission took Him to a cross where He courageously won the victory over sin and death for you and I. Do you see the strength in His submission? The courage? Jesus is key. Okay? Without Jesus, think about it. Leadership is selfish dictatorship, right? Without Jesus, submission can become being a doormat. But, but with Jesus... He breathes love and service into leadership. And with Jesus, he, he breathes nobility and significance and purpose into the submission of the wife. At the end of the day, we do this all for Jesus. That's why it says, as to the Lord. It doesn't mean your husband is Lord of you. Doesn't mean you worship him the way you worship the Lord. It means as you fulfill your role in your marriage, you're doing it as an act of love and worship to Jesus. And sometimes that's the only thing that will keep you living the role.
And I thought about what's one of the things that makes this hard in, in a real life marriage on the ground? Isn't it that, that men and women are just very different people? I, th I think about the story about the man and woman at the romantic movie at the theater and the wife is tearing up and she's got her napkins out and all of a sudden the, the man leans over and, and says those three words that are close to every man's heart. Pass the popcorn. <laughs> We're different, right? <laughs> But listen, I want to tell you that what I've learned after 20 plus years of marriage is that it's the differences where much of the, the, the value and the strengthening comes in our marriage. I want to tell you two examples. One example, Carolyn is much more naturally inclined towards the, the relational side of her relationship with God. I'm more naturally inclined to the thought side of it. We both have some of all of it, but... but she challenges me in, in growing in that relationship with God. And one time, we were sitting at the lunch table after church on Sunday, and we were talking about the service, and, and she said something. And she said, Scott, I, I love the, the details that you bring into your messages and the facts, but I really feel like, man, if you could just pray about how to bring it back more to that relationship with God. Because it's all about relationship, right? comes back to that. And i got to admit, my first reaction wasn't like, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that wise input. It wasn't. My first reaction was this defensiveness rising up inside, like, oh, you don't like my preaching? <laughs> but once that blew over, I thought about it and prayed about it. I was like, is she right, Lord? Yeah, she's right. So let's bring it back to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and everything. Another way we're different. She's a night owl. She will stay up into the late hours of the morning taking care of things for our family and for the church and other things. I'm an a early riser. And so last night at, at 2 in the morning after I've been sleeping for some time, she, I, I woke up when I heard her come in and she, she had some ideas she wanted to share with me. And again, my first selfish inclination was, I gotta pre I gotta get up at four thirty, and I gotta preach. Let's. But I've learned something. I've learned something over the years that that there's gonna be wisdom in that moment. And she started to share some some things that would really be a benefit in our family for the family. And we ended up praying together, and and I told her, let's 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 look at what that looks like. We're different, but the the strength comes in the differences. I want to go back to something. If, if roles in marriage reflect something of the roles in the Trinity, is it any wonder that Satan has undermined those roles in this world? That he has spread his lies against those roles? Think about it. His assault on heterosexual marriage. His assault on the fact that there are two genders, male and female. Jaden told me he saw New York State now list 31 genders and his assault on roles within marriage. Why? Because it reflects the Trinity. God is a God of order, not of the chaos and confusion we, we see in this world. 
And we do not do anybody any favors by encouraging that confusion. We must love folks drowning in that swamp of confusion with the love of Christ while speaking the truth of Christ that will set them free. I won't quote him, but the little boy in kindergarten cop that shocked Arnold Schwarzenegger had a lot of wisdom. We need to speak the truth in love. Husbands, do not buy the lie that being a leader in your home is archaic and old-fashioned and something you should throw by the wayside. And do not buy his other lie that it's all for your benefit either. Wives, do not buy the lie of Satan that being a helper to your husband who disciples your children is a waste of time. There are some in this world that would go so far as to say that is demeaning. Don't believe that lie. Look, a lot of times we focus on the question, does a wife work outside the home or not? That's not the, the primary question. That's a decision every family has to make looking at the season of life they're in and how God leads them. We have to respect how God leads families on that. But here's the question, ladies. Have you bought into the lie that somehow helping your husband and discipling your children is less valuable than whatever's out there? Because that is the lie. We need to bring back the nobility that God poured into this role. And listen, as I thought about it, you think about the, the source of all these lies. Is it not someone who could not stand to be content in his own role? Satan. Lucifer was high up in the angelic hierarchy. He had privileges unlike many other angels, but he was not content with his role. What did he say? I want to be like the Most High. It's no wonder he assaults God's plan for roles in our marriage. Remember where it came from and reject his lies for the lies that they are. I want to come back as we close to the singles and the divorced. I want to encourage you to unapologetically embrace the season of life that you are in and use it flat out for God's glory. Ask the question, how is He calling me to serve Him today? How is He calling me to submit to Him to pursue this bigger goal, as we say, to live a full life in Jesus and, and bring others along for the ride? Because listen, those who are married can reflect Christ in the church to the world in a unique way. That's one benefit of marriage. But there are benefits to being single too. You know that? Paul, same guy, single apostle, wrote about this. Listen to this, single people. 1 Corinthians 7.32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Is Paul speaking down on marriage? No, you cannot believe that when you look at our passage in Ephesians. But what's he saying? There's benefits to being married in a walk with the Lord and there's benefits to being single. So whatever your marital status, leverage it for the glory 
of God's kingdom. We are all in this together. As we close, I want to close where Paul closes in Ephesians 5. It is one thing to talk about marriage reflecting Christ's love for the church and the church's response to Christ. It's another thing when we realize that our marriages are living, walking dramas to those around us to show them the love of Christ and the church. Listen to how he closes here. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's way back from Genesis. Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Even when he instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden, he had Christ and the church in mind. Verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen, I think it's a good place to close here. If you read these passages like I did, I came to to parts where I can admit I've broken the stained glass window, and maybe you're feeling that too. Maybe it's in your past. Maybe you're doing it right now. We all need to lay that down before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for the ways I've broken this beautiful design You have given. I, I confess that. Please cleanse me in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and please work in my life to restore that stained glass window that the world and those around me might see Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Him right here in my home, in my family. In Jesus' name, Amen.